ESPN LA, Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Andy Kamenetsky, Brian Kamenetsky. Our guest is a filmmaker who broke onto the scene in 1999 with a highly acclaimed documentary, American Movie. In that same year, Universal released the Milos Forman film, Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey as the lead and icon Andy Kaufman. Smith's latest documentary, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton, takes a look at the madness that was the making of Man on the Moon and the life-changing effect Jim Carrey's extreme method acting approach took on his psyche. The movie will be released on Netflix on November 17th. Chris Smith joining us. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess, could you describe the process to begin with of just how this film came about? Because there are a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, it was, um, it's strange. Like when you, when you come across something like this, you can't believe that it's sort of sat dormant for 18 years you know the footage had been locked away in Jim's office um but I think as with all projects that we sort of hold on to it's it's one of those things that you you think you'll get to and then it just sort of time slips by and um so Spike Jones had become aware of the footage and uh, him and Jim were friends and would talk about it occasionally and tried to figure out you know what it could be and then eventually Jim shared some of the footage with Spike and um and he just immediately like saw a movie in there, and so he uh, kind of brought it b- back to Vice, and um, they started talking about like potential directors, and and my name came up, and you know Spike and I had um, I had met with them on some TV projects and at Viceland when they were starting the channel, and and we had been in similar worlds. Um, Michael Stipe produced a movie, American movie, which came out in '99, and also produced Being John Malkovich, which came out in '99, which was Spike's earlier film. And um, so it just sort of was one of those things where my name came up and Spike was like, that's a great idea. And so they reached out and, um, you know, I immediately was just, you know, it was Andy Kaufman, who I've always been a fan of. And um, but just the fact that Spike saw some of the footage and thought that this was, you know, that there was something there was enough of an endorsement for me to to jump in. Was it was it hard to get Jim to to agree to make the movie or at least to kind of decide on what kind of movie it would be? Because. It is as much a movie about him as it is the making of that uh, of Man on the Moon or a movie about Andy Kaufman. I don't think he really knew that that's what the movie was going to be. Um, you know, I think that he really thought it was going to be a movie about this one specific event. Um, you know, we had a very open and free dialogue when we talked, and um, I think it wasn't until he saw the movie that he realized it was something much broader in terms of its scope. You know, I think... You know, I, I think I think he's such a thoughtful, smart, you know, gracious person. I don't think he ever was like trying to have this be a movie that was more about him than just the the event itself. But for me, it was you know, given that Andy isn't with us anymore, it was you know trying to find something that opened it up and made it a little bit you know bigger and more relatable than just the retelling of an event. And and. You know, so that was sort of my instinct, but it wasn't until I sat down with Jim that I realized that that could be a reality. Yeah, and it's interesting because as the movie keeps moving forward, you see all these different commonalities between Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman. And, you know, one of them is Jim describes himself as somebody who has a difficult time, you know, using the off switch. And it makes sense that he would be attracted to somebody like Andy Kaufman, who I don't even think had an off switch. Like his life just existed without one. Yeah, no, it was hard to tell where the performance started and stopped with Andy. And I think that, 
you know, people say how similar or different they are. And I think the difference is, you know, with Andy, I think a lot of people, everyone questioned, like, if anyone really knew him, you know. And I think with Jim, I think that that's very different. I think that, you know, in the movie reveals that he's very thoughtful and very open, um, you know, in this context at least. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I think he gave a lot of himself in, in terms of trying to – express himself in terms of where he's at in his in his life and i think that's something that you would have found i don't think that andy was that generous in that in that sense i mean it was not it wasn't a secret as the movie was being made and as it was coming out what jim carrey was doing and sort of inhabiting uh andy kaufman for that role um but what what did you discover um about that process in terms of his choices that he made uh, Jim Carrey's choices that he made and, and the reasoning behind it and, and sort of what it was like for him to inhabit that role for the, for the, the entirety of a movie shoot. Well, I think it was, you know, I mean, he said, you know, I think in, in taking on the role, I think he was doing some soul searching in terms of figuring out how to approach something like this. And, you know, he talks very early in the movie about Andy coming back and just sort of saying, move over, I'm going to make the movie. And I think that, you know, that that idea was, you know, enabled him to sort of go that far. I think, you know, looking back at that footage and really looking back on Andy's life, I can't imagine someone else being able to do this part, you know, like he was so, such a larger than life persona and character that like you really needed somebody with that level of charisma to sort of do justice to his legacy. And I think that, you know, for Jim and trying to find a way through that, you know, that this presented itself. And I think, you know, it was in part a way to do the role, but it was also in part a way to honor that spirit. How much, when when he says, um, you know, that line that you mentioned where he says, uh, where Jim Carrey says, you know, I moved over and let Andy make the movie. It was Andy's movie. How much right. of that did you, did you see as Jim Carrey kind of trying to find a way to, allow himself to behave in a way that could be upsetting to people to do things that would be upsetting to people so that he could inhabit that role in the way that he felt was needed. I, you know, I, it's like we, everyone has to decide what to take at face value. I, from my time spent with Jim, I, I, I felt like, you know, a real connection and a real trust in his sort of um, take on things. But I, I, I feel like that there was, you know, I think that he very much opens himself up to the way things should be and, and kind of like allowing things to happen. And, and, I, and, I, and I do believe that he just sort of opened himself up to this possibility. And, and I think it was more of a something that presented itself more than a um, than a conscious decision to say, like, oh, how can I be crazy and be Andy? You know, I, I, I think it was more just like a, a, a something that happened more organically at least that's my take. But I think, you know, again, everyone will watch a movie and sort of have their own opinion. Well, he says himself toward, towards the end of the film, uh, Jim Carrey, that he doesn't believe in the notion of free will and that the choices basically make you. You know, the example he gives is, you know, I'm thirsty. I reach for the cup of tea. Did I make that decision or did essentially the tea make it for me? And it seemed like Jim Carrey felt like, Andy Kaufman, you know, from from the beyond and sort of that spirit kind of made a lot of these choices for him. Yes, I did. No, I, I think that he really, you know, believes that. And I think it's like 
But when you look at the movie, I think you can start to believe it as well, you know? Um, I, I remember, too, like, when Robin Williams died, um, it dawned on me just how being around someone like Williams, who, you know, was always on, you know, may have felt exhausting for the people around him, but it may have been, I would imagine, ten times more exhausting for Robin Williams as the person who always felt the pressure to be on. And this came to this came to mind watching Jim Carrey, you know, be on, you know, as Andy Kaufman 24-7 in this performance, but talk about just how difficult it is as a performer to always be entertaining. And, you know, that, that pressure that you feel to be entertaining. And in the case of Man on the Moon, you've got his career with that pressure, but also, you know, the pressure of just never letting go in this role. I mean, I can, I can only imagine, you know, it's like we do, you know, we do an interview and, you know, and it, and, and it takes an amount of energy, but you like, you think of like that, what he was doing in that movie on so many levels was just like, it must've been so exhausting. And I think he even expresses that when he came out of it, just sort of like the com- the coming down from that and sort of like trying to reevaluate who you are in that landscape. But, um, you know, I feel like if you look at Jim today, he's, you know, at least, you know, if you look at the interview and, and some of the time I've spent with him, there, there is someone who isn't trying to always be on, but is, is sort of uh, addressing and wrestling with that idea. And, and, and unlike a Robin Williams, you know, there's a lot of the interview is just really thoughtful and introspective. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not this performer, but it's actually someone sort of talking about those ideas. And I think that, you know, to me, that's what made it such a fascinating sort of uh, interview. Oh, I, people will be surprised watching this film how not funny Jim Carrey is dur- during the course of this interview. He's not funny throughout a lot of it, you know, by design. And it's interesting, too. Carrey talks a lot in this movie about just a growing ambivalence towards celebrity and fame uh, that took place with him the, the bigger that he got. And, and I think one of the most fascinating themes from this movie for me was just this I, this examination of what identity means and what in particular yeah. celebrity identity, because Jim Carrey becomes this celebrity by recognizing he always has to be on, but he doesn't quite know what that means. Andy Kaufman is a celebrity, but it's all performance art. You know, it's, a, it's an act. Nobody really knows who Andy Kaufman is. Tony Clifton, who is this alter ego of sorts created by Andy Kaufman, becomes this celebrity, and he's not even real. <laughs> and yeah. Bob Zamuda, you know, Kaufman's collaborator, becomes he becomes this minor celebrity in his own right for sometimes playing this fictic- fictional <laughs> character Tony Clifton. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a mind bend. Yes, I think it was for everyone involved. You know, what did you what what sense did you get of the value of uh, of being Tony Clifton, both for Andy Kaufman and for Jim Carrey? There's you know a section where where Jim talks about it uh, in that footage, uh, but for both of them, what do you think the the value of that Tony Clifton character was? Well, I think it was. It was a very freeing. I mean, I think, you know, you look at that, and, and and it's it's you can you can say and do things you would never be able to do in your own life. You know, you can really. It's a vehicle for being as crazy as you can be, and there's no, um, like nothing's off limits for Tony because he's. It's all inherent to who that guy is, you know. So I think that there's, you know, Jim says it in the movie. It's like it's very freeing. You know, because you become that guy, and um, 
I mean, you know, he can say whatever's on his mind. He can be offensive. And it's all, you know, it's, it's you know, he can, he can get away with things that none of us would be able to get away with just because, well, you know, how are you going to judge Tony Clifton? He's like, you know, this is part of who he is. <laughs> right. so I think, you know, that's, I don't know, it's like an interesting, it's, a, it's such an interesting idea idea to, like, be able to craft this alter ego where you can just behave totally differently. And I think that, you know, Andy must have found, I think especially as Andy's celebrity was rising and, you know, he was on taxi and was sort of like wrestling with that idea of like, you know, what have I become to be able to be this person who's just so offensive and like at odds with, 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 a, with celebrity. I think it, it must have just been, you know, a very freeing prospect. What was your reaction to watching the footage of Jim Carrey as Tony Clifton basically skewering the neediness of Jim Carrey? I mean, the layers in this movie are intense. You know, you have Tony and Andy talking about Jim and Jim talking about them. And, like, there's this, like, web of... of, of uh, a dialogue going between these three people that are all the same person. So it's like, you know, Jim talks about this idea of improvisation and how it's kind of all based in truth. And I think that, you know, when you, when you put that lens on it, you see, you get a real insight into, you know, some of the internal monologue going on and that, that Jim's wrestling with, you know, at that time. And here it's articulated very well by him in the present day but it um you know and and it was so interesting to go back into that footage and find those pieces you know because it's like it, it's just it's so fascinating to imagine like having yourself be de deconstructed by yourself you know and you you have an insight that no one else does did you watch any of the footage with jim no we never did and uh you know, I didn't meet him until we did the interview. I, uh, I I like the energy that comes with sort of sitting down with someone at the, you know, when you just meet each other, say hello, and start talking. Because I feel like, you know, anytime you meet somebody um, and you have this, like, chemistry and you start chatting, it's like it's it's something you can never create again. You know, so for me it was really exciting to sort of make, to, to, to have that exploration happen on film. Um, yeah. There's an interesting irony in the movie, too, because uh, you know, there's the plot line uh, from Andy Kaufman's real life, uh, his feud with the professional wrestler Jerry Lawler, and Jim Carrey in character as Andy is just antagonizing Jerry Lawler on the set because the two of them, you know, Kaufman and Lawler, quote-unquote, feuded, and he's looking to stay faithful to that spirit. But Jerry Lawler, who actually lived this, is saying that he and Andy Kaufman actually had a cordial relationship. Right, Jerry Lawler is actually the only person in the movie who kind of implies that Jim Carrey didn't have it right. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I think the distinction there is, um, you know, I feel like a lot of Jim's off-camera persona in the movie was very similar to Andy's on-camera persona. So I think in some ways you have Lawler reacting to that and sort of saying, you know, but Andy, when he was off camera, was a lot more like a mild-mannered, polite person. And here you have Jim, who's so gregarious and sort of outgoing and is very much reflective of Andy's on-camera persona. But he was being filmed, so 
You know, like it's it's complicated. There's many layers, and and you know, is Lawler telling the truth? Is he being accurate? I don't know. You know, and you you know, none of it. It's all mirrors, a uh, hall of mirrors, and you're just trying to put the pieces together. And I think that's part of the magic of the movie is that we none of us will really know. You know, and that there's even this like these scenes about Universal and the banning of the footage, and then you know, <laughs> some of that happened and some of it didn't and then later it did for real and you know so you're like you know you're just you're i think one of the brilliant things about andy and his legacy is just how he was always challenging what we you know would take as societal norms or 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 what is reality and 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 sort of you know uh and pushing the boundaries And, and i think that jim in making this movie tried to you know honor that idea and i think that he was successful this this could be chris a difficult question for you to answer but jim talks a lot in the film about the influence of andy kaufman and so on him first you know talking about that and and your impressions of what um what jim took from andy kaufman just as as a performer even before going into this role um but then, too, like, what what does Jim Carrey, do you think, look like, his career look like in a world where Andy Kaufman doesn't exist? I mean, I don't feel like Jim's career was that influenced by Andy. I think he very he, – he respected Andy, and I think he was one of the influences. But, you know, Jim was, like, writing the, the Carol Burnett show when he was 11 years old about mm-hmm. doing impersonations. So he was, like – so motivated and driven at such an early age and you see his like you know impersonations in the movie at like 17 18 years old while he's in high school and he was like completely influenced by rich little um i think that you know andy was just one of many voices that sort of helped shape him but i think that what's so fascinating or what was fascinating for me in going back into this material and looking back at jim's career and andy's career was seeing what Jim created out of almost nothing in terms of this person who like moved to the United States from Canada and like, um, you know, eventually created these characters in Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, you know, and, and that became so iconic for us, but really don't have a historical reference before then, you know, he really did sort of, you know, take things from everywhere, but actually really made it his own. And I don't think we've really seen somebody do that in that exact way since. You know, one of the things, Chris, that I found really endearing in a lot of ways as far as watching this movie was the relationship between Jim and Milos Foreman, who directed the movie. And, you know, to put it mildly, Foreman had his hands full making this movie. (laughs) Must have been awful. Um, But he also expresses a lot of appreciation for Carrie's approach, but also for Jim Carrey himself. There's this great scene in the movie where he calls to talk to Jim about how tough it is to work with Andy and Tony. And Jim yeah. says, well, you know, I, I could fire them and just do an impression, which I guess was Carrie speak for, you know, he's, do giving, he's giving him the out. Right. Like, I'll, 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 I'll do a half-assed job if that's what you want. And Foreman says, no, you know, it's not necessary. I just, it just was nice to talk to Jim and watching yeah. that you realize like a Foreman gets it. Like he gets this. But also, like, I don't know how many other directors could have actually made this movie Jim Carrey's way. I mean, there there couldn't have been that many. Well, I think, like, I think it was just Milos coming to an understanding, you know, of how to work with these two people. 
and uh, <laughs> at and least two. We, we, yeah, we even, but we saw it in the footage. It's like it's like the relationship evolves and changes over time, and I think it becomes much more. Um, he just he learns the tricks, you know. As any director trying to get performances out of actors or your talent, you know, you learn how to work with them. And I think that he at first was fighting and challenging and Andy and Tony, and then once he understood that he had to play by their rules, I think the whole production started to fall into place. And so I just think Milos wasn't used to that. You know, it was he seems like a very strong director who knows exactly what he wants, and everyone has to fall in you know, into line and, and do it his way. And here there was two people that, you know, weren't going to play that way. And there was nothing he could do about it except sort of like accept it and sort of and try to, you know, make it work under their terms. Uh, what what were the, 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 the parallels? Uh, because it comes up, the theme of family comes up so much in the film. The, the, the parallels that you found between, Jim's career and his relationship to his family and, and particularly his father. And then uh, what we saw from, from Andy Kaufman and his, the relationship he had to his father and his family and, and people who come back and almost get to speak to Andy one more time through Jim. Well, I mean, I think that was, I mean, it was, it was a very, you can see it on, in the footage is like you have, you see these like relationships you know, him with his sister, with his brother, and, like, you know, it's really, I mean, it must be so surreal to sort of see this person alive again. Um, but I think, you know, Andy's relationship with his father seemed strained at, at, at the beginning, and I'm sure that it was, you know, I, no one had seen anyone like Andy Kaufman before, so how do you contextualize that? And I think as he became more successful, it seemed like the relationship got better, you know, I, I'm not an expert on that, um, but at least from my observation of looking back to the material and the interviews. Um, but with Jim, you know, I think that Jim was had a very close relationship with his father. He was a huge influence. You know, he talks about him being the funniest man he knew. And I, I remember I asked him once, you know, if your father had been an actor, do you think he would have been successful? And he said, without a doubt, he was as charismatic and funny and creative and clever and charming as Jim was. And so... You know, you, you, you look at the effect that these people had on, on, on their lives, but I think with Jim, you know, I, I think he, he states it very well in the movie that, you know, he saw his father, who, who, who was so talented, not fulfill his potential in terms of career ambitions, and Jim just felt like, and, and still had a tough time, and so he just felt like, you know, there's no way I'm not going to give it everything I have because you can fail either way. And I, 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 I thought it was just so eloquent the, the way that he expressed that idea. And I think it's something that we all wrestle with in terms of, you know, how we spend our time and whether we sort of play things safe or really like go for it. And I think that we all like the idea of wanting to challenge ourselves and, 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 and follow our dreams, but it's, it's a very difficult proposition when faced with the realities or, or you know, the realities of life. What do you think the sadness was? Because it is that's one of the more poignant parts of the movie where he talks about his father that way. And, and, and uh, what do you think makes him so emotional about that part of, of his life? Because his, you know, his father saw him make the mask but kind of didn't get to see the rest of it. Where do you think, you know, in your, in your um, time with Jim, where do you see you know, the influence of that relationship? Well, I mean, I think it's a bittersweet, you know, thing. It's like I think you, you know, you look at 
you know, our parents provide so much for us in terms of the foundation and the opportunities that we have. And I think it's just hard to get to that point and not be able to share it, you know. So, but I think he was just happy that he at least got to the point where he was able to see that, you know, Jim was kind of unstoppable at that point. And so I think that there's, you know, there's something you know, you can tell that there's definite emotion there. It's like because they really, he really loved his father and cared for him and missed him dearly. And so I think that that is, I mean, obviously is, is, is you can just feel it in the movie, you know. From your time with Jim Carrey, Chris, making this movie and doing the interview, is, does he seem happy to you? You know, I think he's, uh, I wouldn't say more or less happy than anyone that I'm close with. I think we all struggle with, like, you know, our existence and, like, and trying to find meaning and happiness in this life. And um, I don't see Jim in, uh, being that different. I think a lot of times, you know, you can look at celebrity and you think, like, that, you know, and in, 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 in wealth and fame and these things as being, you know, um, you know, the the goal. And I think that one thing that's so beautiful about the movie is Jim sort of talking about that and saying that that doesn't bring happiness necessarily, but it's really, you know, you have to find it in different ways. And, and so, you know, I don't, it's been such a privilege and like pleasure sort of spending the last year with him and getting to know him better. He's like such an incredibly thoughtful, generous person. So like I've been, you know, it's been fun spending time with him. Um, but you know, you know, Jim says, who do you know, even if they're sitting in front of you? So I don't, I, I don't know if I can accurately, you know, answer that question, but he, you know, he definitely seems like he's finding peace. And, and I think it's been very admirable when you look at the choices he's made from a career perspective, <coughs> he didn't try to hold on and, and do the same thing over and over until it was like, felt like it was, you know, not working. He sort of made decisions to, to, you know, to do what he felt was right in the moment and not try to stay in the limelight. You know, when he wanted to be quiet, he was quiet. And, um, you know, and I think that that's bringing him happiness. Um, and it's, you know, cause people, when I was working on the movie, were always like, whatever happened to Jim? I haven't heard from him. And, you know, and we're very curious because they have such an affinity and an affection for him. But I think that that's a real testament to him, his character is that he's searching for those answers on his own and not trying to grasp on to some, you know, form of, you know, to to stay relevant um, or in the in the limelight always. He's, you know, very comfortable and happy with himself in that in that sense. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's one of the things I was curious about is is what you think comes next for him. I believe he's he's about fifty five years old. Um, he certainly has many years of life, you know, left to do with what he wants. What What do you think the the, the career of Jim Carrey looks like over the next twenty years? I'm not qualified to answer that question. <laughs> I have no idea. It's, I'm, you know, I think like everyone, I'm in the take it day by day mode. It's like I, I, I if you had told me two years ago I would have made a movie with Jim Carrey, I would have thought you were insane. So I think like. One of the great things about this life is that we don't know what's coming, around, what's around the corner. And I think, you know, I, 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 I haven't heard from Jim, but I know that different people, when they hear that I'm working on this, they're like, oh, we're, you know, talking about different projects. And so I, I think there's like a lot of things, you know, that people are 
in talks about making, but I, I don't know any specifics. But it's not something that was really that interesting to me. I just have really enjoyed his company, and uh, and yeah. So anyway, I, 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 if you ask me what where I'll be next year, I have no idea yeah. either. So it's it's maybe I'm not. It's not my strong suit. It's well, it's it's just an interesting contrast because you know you. He was so driven, you could tell, as a it's young It's similar actor. to why I asked about yeah. if you thought he was happy. Just because you can tell he's, the, he's searching for something. Right, and there was so much drive to make it uh, that, that was yeah. obvious and palpable for him at the beginning. And, and he made it in ways that that most actors don't, even actors who become famous, just the sheer magnitude of the hits that he made. And now he's reached uh, this place where it seems very clear that he doesn't seek that in the same way. Uh, and so that's what kind of prompted the question. It's just such a fascinating contrast between a younger man who hasn't gotten there and, and, and a middle-aged man who has and now is looking for different things. Well, I think that's what's so nice about the movies that you you realize that he's he's fully capable of handling that and, and, and working towards those, to answering those questions, you know. And I think that's part of what the movie's about is actually that, that question and i think that he answers it really well just in terms of some of the material towards the end of the film where he's sort of contextualizing his thoughts and um so anyhow i i I mean that's to me was one of the best parts of the film was just not only the exploration of this footage and this crazy experience in andy kaufman but was just sort of his sort of reflection on his career and life and happiness and success and what that is and, and how you define it. And, and I, I was just blown away by his, uh, the way that he articulated his thoughts around those ideas. And then the last question for you, Chris, I, I heard you tell a story uh, during a different interview about how the title of this movie came to be. And I was hoping you could share it with our <laughs> listeners because it's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, there was, um, well, a lot of titles, and obviously <laughs> we just put them all together. But there was uh, – at, at one time it was Jim and Andy, and then it was The Great Beyond, and then we put them together. And then there was uh, Bob Zamuda who, um, in his contract uh, for the film, just said that if, if Jim and Andy are mentioned in the title, that we contractually were obligated to put Tony in the title. So uh, Danny Goodbye, the, our producer from Vice, was just was like – in the spirit of Andy Kaufman thought that the best idea would be to just embrace that and sort of call it out. And so it's, it's, it was just written into the title and uh, <laughs> the original title was actually, it was longer. It was the story of Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman featuring a, a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. So we ended up shortening it, I think because it couldn't fit in the box <laughs> you know, on Netflix, but, um, but yeah, it's still in the spirit of Andy. It's, it's still, I think probably one of the longest titles they have. For, for for a movie on the service. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty unwieldy now if it makes everyone feel feel better about it. The, <laughs> the movie is Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. Yep, the movie, there it is. Very unwieldy. <laughs> the, the movie will be released on Netflix November 17th. Chris Smith, thanks so much for the time. It's, it's a great movie. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much.